It's that special time of year when dictators get on a pedestal, world leaders hold sideline meetings, and traffic in New York City is worse than ever. That's right, I'm talking about the United Nations General Assembly. With President Biden holding his first meeting with Israeli President Netanyahu and a whole lot more news coming out of the UN, we're excited to be joined by Lahav Harkov, Jewish Insider's newest reporter, who's reporting live from the UN to bring us the latest. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insider's podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, we got a great live show today coming at you from the UN in New York, right around the corner from you, where the Star Wars bar of the world has moved its headquarters to the United States of America for a two-week period they call the General Assembly. It must be one of your favorite times in New York to get around. It's kind of brutal, uh, but you know it's the it's the price you pay for being the capital of the world. Um, some weeks you you know actually my mother in law lives right in the middle of all of this on Fifty Second Street and First Avenue, and uh, the other night she was. Uh, we were on the phone with her and she said, hold on a second. You want to hear the protesters? And she actually stuck her cell phone out the window and I was able to hear the protesters on First Avenue uh, shouting and chanting. But, you know, it's, it's actually, I think, a great time in New York because, um, you know, it reminds uh, folks that we are really an international city and that every nation in the world can actually have some kind of a home field advantage when they come to the UN General Assembly. So I, I actually love it. Uh, it's annoying to commute. But, you know, small price to pay. So funny when you said capital of the world. True story. Some friends of mine who I know are avid listeners will remember this. Must be 15 years ago now. I gave a capital tour to a former head of the Shas party in Israel. And I joked about standing in that star that's in the crypt of the capital. If, you, if you've ever been in the yep. capital or the basement, they call it the crypt. There is this one point, which is the epicenter of the capital. And if you understand how Washington is laid out, it's the epicenter of Washington, D.C. And so I made the joke that they're actually standing at the center of the world, the capital of the world. And I was immediately uh, dressed down as being an apostate uh, because, of course, Jerusalem uh, is. Oh, I thought you were going to say the head of the Shas party said New York was the capital of the world. No, 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 no. That would have been that would have been funny. I think it probably would have been somewhere in New Jersey, but uh, but. but Uh, All right, let's get to the guest, Rich. Let's do it. Let's do it. Lahav Harkov needs little introduction. She's a return guest, but first time as a Jewish insider reporter. Lahav recently joined JI as senior political correspondent. Previously, was a senior contributing editor and the diplomatic correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. She joins us live from the UN General Assembly sidelines. Lahav, welcome back to the podcast. And welcome to J.I. family. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a really great joining this family. I've been here a few weeks and I, it feels that way already. Uh, so is there somebody you're not talking to yet because it's uh, just like a family? I'm just kidding. You don't have <laughs> to answer the, what's that. that. What's that restaurant that's like when you're here, your family? Remember that commercial? It's Olive Garden? Olive Garden, yeah. That was it, the Olive Garden. So it's either the mafia where like you can't leave the family now or it's 
sports. I have to tell you about the Olive Garden Garden thing. My husband's not American, and he always laughs at how much Americans just know commercials by heart. I mean, I have not lived in America since 2005, but I remember the commercials. (laughs) Yeah, we do commercials. Isn't there there that old movie uh, where there's some movie where they turn on an oldie station and it's all commercials? I want to say it was like Back to the Future or something where I think it was Back like, to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. Two. Yeah, and the Back radio the station two, in the future. Yeah. Yeah, and the radio station in the future is all commercials and yeah, they're yeah, like yeah, singing yeah, along yeah. and you're like, "What do you say?" I remember Sorry, that. Yeah, we digress. Yeah, yeah. We have important stuff to talk about. It's a big week in New York, Rich. When the dictators come to town, start going to the jingles. It it, it throws them off. Okay. That's what okay. I like to say. Okay. Listen, Lahav, you are here in New York. President Biden in New York for UNGA. Yeah, and the, with the Bibi traffic Netanyahu. Yeah, right. Well, you know, on top of the traffic that would already be there and the parking tickets that get, never get paid, as we know from the West Wing. But President Biden sitting down for the first time with Prime Minister Netanyahu, both men in New York at the UNGA, the meeting, it happened. You were there. Anticlimactic or big deal? I think it's a big deal. Um, you know, what's a bit, the big deal is the fact that the meeting happened, right? It's not like something particularly surprising happened, certainly not in the part that was public. Although I will say that, um, Biden was clearly trying very hard to keep everything very light, very positive, all about the U.S.-Israel relationship and about the sort of positive things that they have in development, whether it's this huge infrastructure project from the G20 to connect um, Asia to Europe through the Middle East um, or Saudi-Israel normalization. And then he sort of, on the way, on the side a little bit, mentioned like, you know, Israeli democracy, which is, of course, the code for um, judicial reform. So, you know, the fact that this meeting didn't happen for so long was because of judicial reform and was because of, um, you know, figures in Netanyahu's government that Biden views as extremist on the, especially on the settlement issue. Um, But it's also beyond that on settler violence and and other things like that. Um, You know, so, but on the other hand, they made a very big effort to focus on the positives. And from my understanding in the meeting itself, like the, the issues those differences came up, but the actual focus of the meeting was the sort of broader Middle Eastern questions of normalization of the infrastructure project and things like that. And Iran, of course. So so here's just to dig a little bit more deeper on that last point. Uh, well, I'll let Rich talk about Iran because it's, it's, he's, he's the expert. Um, or, um, But in terms of like what went on behind closed doors, I heard from some folks last night who, you know, are quote air quotes close to BB that it went really poorly and the closed door sessions were terrible. And I said, were they as bad as Obama level closed door sessions with, with Netanyahu? And they said, well, it, you know, that's pretty far. That's a pretty low bar, but that they, that they, it was pretty contentious in the closed door meetings. And what I'm hearing from you is that that might all be hyperbole. And it was just, what, you know, a sort of a typical meeting you were going to have between a Netanyahu government and a Democratic president? Yeah, I mean, basically what I've been hearing, right, you're going to have tensions between Netanyahu and, and this has been the case, like, from the time Biden came in, and even when Netanyahu wasn't there, that there are certain things that a Democratic president in Israel will never see eye to eye on. And that goes even more so to a president on the right, um, or, or Netanyahu. 
with his right wing government. Um, you know, there are obviously tensions and there are obviously differences. And you see the fact that Biden didn't meet with Netanyahu until now. And even now they're meeting in New York and not in the White House, right? That they sort of don't want to be seen as, I don't know, overly supporting, overly endorsing this government in Israel that has some some pretty extreme figures in it. Um, that being said, my understanding that of the meeting itself was not that it was like overly negative or so much worse than anything else. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe different people see things different way. Half glass, half empty. Well, glass, I, I, I'm all about body language and signals and the things that you can try to decipher when you, when you actually see the principles. And so there was obviously the big media spray and, and the, and the joint statements, you probably got to see other body language behind the scenes, all positive, sort of concerning, standoffish. I mean, from body language, what 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 could you tell from everything? It, it seemed like normal. Plus, you know, they were really like leaning into this whole thing, like we were friends for a long time, giving each other a big hug, laughing together, kind of thing. There was, uh, frankly, I didn't see this part live because I was like sort of behind all kinds of journalists in the video there's this video where Biden looks like he was crossing himself like 50 yeah, people did. sent this to yeah. me afterwards yeah. and I was like I don't I don't really know what that was about if we're talking about Biden. It, it went a little viral uh I I my interpretation was he's got a pretty good sense of humor and BB's talking about how they've known each other for 40 years that's what and, I thought and, and he sort of recognizes he's pretty old and frail and so kind of you know, thank God. Right, I, thought it was the, I thought it was the equivalent. A Republican of like, calling know. Joe Biden frail. Drink. Everybody drink. Sorry. I, I, Rich, that should be the new drinking no, game. No, he looked, he looked very, he looked, he looked very able-bodied in the meeting, of course, Jared. Yes. I, well, yeah. I, I will say yeah. just comparing it yeah. to when President Herzog um, came to the States and when, and I was in the Oval Office then, um, Biden seems not in good shape then. Uh, he was mumbling. He seemed tired. And I had a better view of him then than I did yesterday. Um, and yesterday he seemed more energetic and speaking clearly. And like nobody, n- nobody in either of these politicians like camps would be stupid enough to say to a reporter like, oh, he seems frail. He seems right. whatever. But maybe, maybe there would have been a little chance of a hint of something from Netanyahu's people. <laughs> and, and there was no, they said they, he was perfectly fine. So maybe it was a better, bad, good day versus a bad day. We'll talk more about it because obviously Saudi came up. But for those who watched uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's interview with Brett Baer on Fox News, he, uh, the Crown Prince goes out of his way to say, oh, President Biden's very sharp, very clear, very direct, you know, on top of it. It was almost like going out of his way to compliment the president, knowing that there's this domestic, you know, audience in, in the U.S. talking about these issues. But anyways. Well, I wonder uh, on that note, if there's like a question of sort of, of, of legitimacy, not, not legitimacy of being president, but of like, oh, is this deal that he's coming to like actually not such a smart deal because it comes from someone who's quote unquote, you know, not all there. Um, and so for MBS and also for Netanyahu, like they want to make sure everyone knows, no, no, he's really there. He's really on top of it. By the way, can I just take a sidebar for half a second? Cause like we spent a lot of time in America talking about like Joe Biden's mental capabilities and like, Okay, like, great. People get to talk about what they talk about. But like, Donald Trump is like a legit raving lunatic and says stuff that is just nutty and sends out a uh, a Russia shun a message 
that basically says that liberal Jews are like the downfall of the U.S.-Israel relationship and American Jewry. And like, but Joe Biden's mental stability is the one we're talking about. I'm sorry. I got to just it's, say It's that. two like, different kinds of... Yeah, one, one's, it, one's issues, intentional. Right? One's intentional. Well, I don't... You're saying it's intentional, but I don't... I mean... I, I think it's in some ways it's like for Trump, these things are like compulsions. Like he has like, yeah, there's, there's exactly. gotta be a more polite way to say it, but like no, he no, has no. like sort of verbal diarrhea. You know what I mean? Like he just, he just says whatever's on his mind, which is not great for a president either. Yeah. Okay. I just want that. That's, I mean, that's, I guess that's just the point I was making is that like, you know, for, we spent so much time talking about, and maybe we've been talking about Trump's, uh, you know, compulsions for so long and like we've almost become normalized to it because like from the beginning when they you know when the guy's saying uh stuff on camera that like i can't even say on this podcast and people are like oh yeah it's fine like we've just normalized his ridiculousness that like when somebody who is within the mainstream of norm is acting you know that they're an 80 year old you know an 80 plus year old person that we're like oh my god he's he's not not all there like okay Enough. I'm sorry. I, I'll get down off. All right. We're, 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 no, that's a good, it's a good reminder I just for us say to that get I off of it here too. <laughs> I, I didn't say that Biden's not all there. I'm saying that being. No, no, I, I know I that. Did. I, know. I, did. Rich, Rich I did. said it. Rich did. Rich did. So it's fine. We got to move on. We, you know what? Okay, the sorry, the sorry, days sorry. of repentance, right? Like I, you know, I asked Joe Biden for his apology, uh, for my apology, his apology, say sorry. I said, sorry, whatever. Let's go on. President Biden in that bilateral spray, saying, hope to see you in Washington by the end of the year. Now, a lot of people wondering, was that an offhanded comment? Was he dangling something in the private meeting, still making this a condition for a White House summit? Uh, or do we actually think this is agreed to, they're going to work on a date, this is happening? And so in terms of what senior officials, both in the Biden administration and in Netanyahu's office, they, they're both saying the same thing, which is that like there's not a date yet, but yes, they want to plan a meeting to take place by the end of the year. And that's different from, say, previously, when we knew that they were going to meet at some point and, and people like like Israel's national security advisor and eventually Netanyahu himself said, oh, no, it's going to be in the White House when it was pretty clear from what the Biden administration was saying that there was no White House meeting planned. So, uh, so I do think it's going to happen this time. I mean, this is why I always find Uncle Week very cool because there's oh, there's always like these intrigues and like these offhanded sidebar meetings that like couldn't take place anywhere else. But like everybody's on the island of Manhattan. Everybody's at the same restaurants. I was out at a couple of things last night and like you hear more languages than usual being spoken in Manhattan in particular. It's clear there's, you know black SUVs lined up everywhere with, with, with police escorts. And like, you know, that there's all these like sort of sidebar meetings happening uh, at places like Zuma, like that, you know, at one table, you have a bunch of leaders from the Israeli protest movement and another, at another table, you may have people from uh, wherever else. And I just think it's really interesting. The Iranian you know, delegation, perhaps they're probably getting closer to each other these days. You know, there was a Biden hosted a reception at the Metropolitan Museum of Art that I know Netanyahu went to the very little press coverage, press details. And I with everything else going on, didn't have time to look into that. But I it sounds like that would be something very interesting to know what was going on there. 
I mean, I may have been there, but I can't really oh. talk about it. I can't really talk about it on, <laughs> on a podcast really? if I was. Yeah, gotta be an but, unnamed uh, source. Gotta, gotta, yeah, gotta no, 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 no. If you no, see no. JI breaking news, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, you know yeah. where it came from. Well, did from. you see the the what they called the artistic protest outside against Netanyahu? Were they, I did. Were I did they drawing see, him and selling the no, cartoon. They, 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 were, they used like AI, like Mid Journey or whatever, to take pictures of Netanyahu in an orange prison jumpsuit, but then like transplanted into like classic works of art. So like the girl with the pearl earring, but it was Netanyahu in a prison jumpsuit. Things like that. Yeah, lots of protests, lots of barricades. I rode a city bike, uh, I think, seven times yesterday to get to get to all my meetings um, because traffic was bumper to bumper, but the bike lanes were amazing. I know, I know they don't believe in those in Chicago, Rich. But uh, bike lanes, here. yeah. To go tweet at uh, Ambassador Rahm Emanuel, ask him about bike lanes. He'll tell you all about all he did for bike lanes. He's a big bike lane guy. He's being muzzled right now by the White House. He can't criticize China anymore, reportedly well, from NBC News. But, but he he likes bike lanes. I could tell you that I was in no traffic because I was in the press delegation traveling with the prime minister. Being in a motorcade is really nice. That is definitely true for anybody who's ever been in a motorcade. All, all, all 10 of us out there listening, you, you, you know, this is, that, that is, that is, that's awesome. Uh, I do want to talk about, speaking of motorcades, uh, many a motorcade heading uh, different countries in a trilateral negotiation, uh, trying to get the Saudi-Israel normalization deal which continues to get more complicated by the day and a lot of noise entering these talks from various sides. Did you get a sense that Netanyahu and Biden are actually on the same page on all these issues? Or is there an imbalance here in the Palestinian issue, the nuclear issue, any other issues that are, that are on the table that are actually delaying these talks? On the nuclear issue, my sense is that they want us to think that they're on the same page. I have a little bit of a sense that they, you know, doth protest too much. Um, and that maybe there's some, there are some serious differences going on. I mean, I think it's a big ask of Israel to approve someone having, you know, it's not having like nuclear energy the way the UAE does. It's like they want a real nuclear program where they're enriching their own uranium. And I think that that is a tough ask for Israel. But on the other hand, Netanyahu sees this deal as as worth it. Um, the Palestinian thing is very clear that there are differences. Um, I think this is going to be a big challenge for Netanyahu and his current coalition, where like they just a week or two ago, um, Israel was supposed to fulfill like a promise that they had made in the previous government that former Defense Minister Benny Gantz made to give like armored vehicles to the Palestinian um, police, and. Um, and they were about to do it and the news broke, like these headline headlines came out about it. And then, um, like Smotrich and Ben Gvir and Netanyahu's coalition came out and they were really mad about it. And they were like, why are we giving them weapons? Which, you know, it's not a weapon, but okay. It's like a military equipment of some source, some sort. So like if they can't even handle the Palestinian police having armored vehicles, like how are they going to handle a, a real concession, you know? And I think that the, the Saudis... And to some extent, I think it's more the Biden administration than the Saudis even um, are not going to accept like symbolic steps. They're going to want something real. So I think Netanyahu is going to have a real domestic challenge here, even though sort of he and the people surrounding him are like, no, I'm never going to compromise Israel's security. And my coalition partners know that. So it'll be fine. But I think that he and 
Bitsala Smutrich, for example, have very different ideas of what it means to compromise Israel's security. And so that, it, I think a lot of people are very concerned about the nuclear issue. I think it's the Palestinian issue that will end up being the real obstacle here. And, and of course, the big question being, is this Joe Biden's ask or is this the crown prince of Saudi Arabia's ask? And, and I don't think that we have a clear answer on that. Yeah. I mean, look, you if you watch the interview that MBS gave to Fox News, he he emphasized that he wants something for the Palestinians, but he just said he wanted to ease their lives. That's all he said. Now, I, I assume he has something specific in mind, but that falls very short of statehood, right? And the Biden administration is not saying either we need a two-state solution right now, but they want steps in that direction. Um, and that's very clear from things that Biden said just um, you know, in the open part of the meeting with Netanyahu. So my feeling is it's an ask from both of them, but that it's possible that the Biden administration is pushing um, for even more. Can I shift gears for a second here, Rich? Um, so there's been some news where, um, again, in this really interesting week in New York, where uh, the leaders of Israel and Turkey met in person, right? And that is, I think, big news because, they, you know, coming at the end of a period of really bad relations between the countries, which historically have been good, like over the longer time horizon. But it seems like there's a thaw. They're talking about potentially uh, the leaders are talking about potentially visiting each other's capital. Uh, President of Turkey met with American Jewish leaders. Um, what are we to make of all of this? So this thaw has been going on for a few years now. I would say it started in earnest after um, President Herzog came into office. Um, he Erdogan sort of wanted already, um, it, Herzog came into office in, in 2021. Before that, Erdogan already wanted to try to improve ties with Israel, ties that he was very instrumental in destroying. Yeah, I mean, wasn't he like fancying himself <laughs> like, I'm going to be the strong man and to be the strong man in the Middle East, it, it's, you know, it's a pretty standard formula where whereby you come for Israel and that helps you be a strong man among other countries and your own people. Yeah. And, but and that's then, not where... And, uh, and then economic realities bit him in the... Uh, right, right. And, and right. I, clearly it's not working for him. So I guess he's shifting gears. Right. And the thing is that there was there were always sort of secret track good ties. There were always good economic ties between Turkey and Israel. That was never interrupted. And then also like the intelligence services of the country always worked together. And it was like Erdogan just being like belligerent and nasty. Um, so he already before 2021 for like a year, year and a half was making overtures to Israel and like Netanyahu and his people were just like, didn't know what to make of it. Then when Herzog became president in 2021, he reached out to Herzog and Herzog sort of saw this as an opportunity. And, and from then on, and Herzog visited, I think it was early 2022. I was on that trip. It was very interesting. Um, you know, and, and, and Erdogan showed him, you know, a lot of honor. There's this like, they had this amazing honor guard, you know, where you had like the Turkish army band playing Hatikva, you know, it was just like surreal. Um, so this has been going on for a little while, but it's interesting when it's Netanyahu and Erdogan, they had never met before. Um, because Erdogan already was mad at Israel. It was started being mad at Israel in 2008 when Olmert was still prime minister. Um, they met and they for have, the first by time. The way, they have a lot in common in terms of like their style, right? Uh, I don't think that's true. Um, I mean, I mean, they both fancy themselves strong men. 
who claim to speak for a group of people they don't entirely represent. When Netanyahu talks about himself as the prime minister of the Jewish people, like I never voted for him. So, uh, and Erdogan, you know, in terms of like fancying himself a regional leader that he isn't. So anyway, just, just, just to, because I'm not an Erdogan fan, just to make a comparison. If, if Bibi Netanyahu was locking up journalists and dissidents and, and doing various weird things in the military to remove anybody he thought was an opponent of his and cut off diplomatic relations and or economic ties to any country that allowed a protest against Bibi outside when he visited or outside an embassy. I mean, I think he just brings people into his government who want to, you know, I, Oh, too soon. But, but you know, this is still a democracy. We're talking about it. Okay. Yeah. I I do think the comparisons with Erdogan are really um, overblown, but in oh, any and the, case, and the Muslim Brotherhood, I should I should add in obviously the Muslim right. That was the other thing. And sponsorship um, and things like that, yeah. and not just sponsorship, but also that he's sort of like a the like religious candidate, and like Netanyahu yeah. is like probably an atheist, and if not, at least like a, someone who does not observe religious. So but, there's Jared's opening for the for the, for the coalition, but I let's keep going. let's keep going. <laughs> yes, moving. Yeah, making your arguments now. See, I'm I'm you're you're having. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in your head, head, Rich. Yeah, I like right, keep going. I, I think going. it's called gaslighting. I'm gaslighting. It's, it's not rent free, by the way. You are you are being charged rent. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. We're feisty today, huh? So one of the reasons I think it's interesting that Netanyahu and Erdogan meeting is that Erdogan repeatedly accused Netanyahu of being like a mass murderer and killing children and things like that. And then suddenly like they're there and Netanyahu is making like, actually the the, the video from it is is extremely awkward because you could see like Erdogan is like, if you ever see like he's just like this closed, like stony faced guy. Right. And Netanyahu, they, they were basically both wearing solid red ties. And Netanyahu was like, oh, our ties match. I like your tie. And everyone's just like looking at him, not smiling. And he's like, and our ties are improving. Netanyahu says, I'm oh like, my oh, God. my God. <laughs> yes. And the hashtag school teacher humor. Right. It's like dad humor. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. And the interpreter is like obviously explaining to Erdogan like what Bibi said and, and like no movements on Erdogan's face just no like acknowledgement of a joke it was it was classic it was great <laughs> oh my god all right Rich what else we got we have well, lots well more. there was also uh, a big meeting that that Bibi had with President Zelensky uh, of Ukraine uh, that yes. was their first uh, face-to-face meeting there was a phone call uh, right before Rosh Hashanah uh, there have been some ministerial level uh, visits to Ukraine and phone calls as well, though obviously that relationship uh, has uh, been strained, we'll, we'll say, uh, based on Israel's position and where Zelensky would like Israel's position to be. What have you heard about that meeting? My understanding is from Netanyahu's side that they saw it as a good meeting, but they also you know, were honest with Zelensky that from the get-go, like, you're not going to get what you want from us. So let's just talk about what you are going to get and try to work within the parameters of reality. Now, on Zelensky's side, I can't say that I have like a a, a source in there who I talk to. But if you look at what Zelensky said publicly, he talked about the sort of shared Iranian threat, like, you know, that they both feel threatened by Iran. This isn't his tweet about it. Um and he talked about Israel's civilian humus or civil humanitarian aid without any complaint about Israel not providing military aid. It was positive. When he walked out of the meeting, we, you know, a bunch of us press gathered outside, sort of shouted to him, how was the meeting? He said, good, which is, 
you know, it's one word, it's you could say it's meaningless. But on the other hand, I think the fact that he's been super critical of Israel many times in the past, the fact that this is like mildly positive is like a good sign in that sense. Right. He, he doesn't, Zelensky's not a guy who like doesn't tell you what's on his mind. Right. Like if he didn't think it was good, I don't think he would have said good. He would have ignored us or he would have said, you know, not good or I don't know why. Or, co- or could have been or could have been better. Well, I, I, right. I, I do know from many sources that Zelensky has wanted to have a face to face with Netanyahu for a yes. long time. This has been a major, major priority for the Ukrainians and getting this done. I wonder he if he wanted if it, it to yeah. be in Kiev and he repeated that invitation in the meeting. Yes, yes. I don't think Netanyahu is going to do it. I think he he's making a lot of excuses when asked about he it. He should go. In my opinion is I think you get a lot of benefit out going. But I, I think the, so too. The, actually. the interesting thing that I saw was, and this was reported on by some, was the hug for the head of the Mossad, which apparently caught Barnea by surprise and trying to like, oh, I've, I've never been to Ukraine. I don't know what's going on here. But the whole thing, if you think about it, right, it's almost like Zelensky's joke on the Israelis of like, I'm going to show Putin that maybe there is something going on. Right. I'm happy with no, the I, think I know that, you guys. I think that Barnea, I'll tell you exactly what happened. So so Zelensky walks in and all of like Netanyahu's top advisors are in a receiving line and there's like eight of them or something. So the first thing is that that Zelensky like trolls Netanyahu a little bit. I saw it as a troll about and he said this is he said, You have a big team. This would be too much money for us. And I think it's a troll like, why don't you spend your money helping us <laughs> right, instead of, of sending yeah, all your team yeah, to New yeah. York? Anyway, he's going down the receiving line, shaking every... He gave Netanyahu a hug, but everyone else, he shook their hands. And then he hugs the head of the Mossad, Barnea. Okay, so they leave the meeting. We yell at Zelensky, how's the meeting? He says it's good. Barnea walks out. First of all, he walks out just like by himself. Like he's just like some dude, you know? (laughs) And we journalists like corner him. And he's like, do you know where I'm supposed to go? And we were like, you're asking us. Amazing staff work. I know. But then we were like, so, you know, uh, Zelensky hugged you. And he's like, not saying anything. We're like, when's the last time you were in Kiev? And he looks at us and he goes, I don't remember. And then he walks away, even though he didn't know where he was supposed to go. Oh. So that, I thought that was interesting. He didn't so deny maybe it. he has been to Kiev. How about that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, look, with the Iran connection, right? I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was there. Wow. The intrigue uh, of, of Ungar or, or, continues, yeah. Jared. Or, Z- or Zelensky's living rent-free in Putin's head, right? Well, that was some, my uh, thought Some guy this, at the FSB, but... some guy at the KGB or the FSB just is watching that tape and having a stroke because he's like, whoa, maybe, the, maybe Mossad is like, well, listen, we, we know that there, the exploitation of Iranian drones that are shot down inside of Ukraine is is a help to the Israelis. And it's something that the Israelis and the Americans both want to get their hands on just to understand capabilities, what's happened, what have they done to it, modifications. So in that context, it does make a good amount of sense um, to to imagine that, that, it, that there is a channel and that that is an ongoing channel. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it also works as a psyop on on Putin as well at the same time. Well, maybe, happy maybe. to have contributed by reporting about it. In and there's no bike lanes needed for that, Jared. There's no bike lanes needed <laughs> to no get to that uh, oh, to that boy. episode oh, of Manga. All right, uh, let's see what else. Rich, we haven't talked about, about Iran at about length Raisi, yet, so yeah, ha- yeah, have at it. Have at Raisi it. at the UN holding court. You know, obviously hosted by Council on Foreign Relations, disgusting, 
you know, they, I think, figured out that they were going to have protesters outside CFR. So they moved it to Raisi's hotel room just to, I don't think it was protect Raisi. I think it was protect CFR, in my opinion, but hmm. be that be that as it may. Is it, is it, Rich, is it possible? Is it possible that uh, there was also a security concern where, like, the U.S. government moved it there? No, I, I think there's a security concern that, you know, maybe the Iranians would kill Mike Pompeo or John Bolton or Brian Hook or all the people that they already have death threats out on, which was reiterated in Raisi's speech at the U.N. while he was cashing $6 billion. Be that as it may, the news that I want to ask about, Lahav, is the U.N. ambassador of Israel, Gilad Erdan, standing up with a poster while Raisi is speaking of Masa Amini, obviously, the one-year anniversary of her death and uh, and the uprising in Iran, and then being escorted out by the UN police, is that that must be a first for a for an Israeli diplomat? I'm not aware of that happening before. Okay, first of all, this is like Gilad Erdan's best day ever, right? Like it's his dream, his dream come true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. All, all he, he, his he can retire. He yeah. can retire now. Right. He's like, Bibi, um, let me do it. I did it. Not only did BB like BB was like super into it. Like yeah. he he like gave it as an example of like, oh, you see those Israelis protesting outside? They should be protesting Iran. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Like you later done. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's an, I'm so accustomed to the Knesset where people make too much noise and are escorted out every single day that when I saw it, I was like, okay. And then like then I realized, like, oh, no, this is the U.N. This doesn't happen every day. Like, this is not normal. <laughs> and, of course, it's not normal that, you know, Gilad Erdogan is the problem as opposed to the mass murderer on stage. This took a lot of planning, though. It's not like you just, like, show up with a poster and decide you're going to do that. I mean, they must have known, premeditated, calculated move, approved at the top. They knew what they were going to do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think it takes like a ton of. He's done walkouts. Oh, he basically takes a always Kinko's walks run. out. I understand, yeah, but he always walks out. Like, how would you like to be the before, intern? It's the poster, I think. How would you have liked to be in the intern who went got sent to Kinko's to like get that poster made? <laughs> right. I, we should find that intern and interview that intern on for JI. Right. I think that would be, you know, like a good human interest. Like, you were the intern that got the protest poster made that got the ambassador escorted out of the general. I, I do wonder if it's the same intern who brought the wrong map to the UN. Did you see this? I tweeted about this. Um, Netanyahu wanted a map. He had like his own like conference room where he was like holding court, and that's where Zelensky came to see him. Netanyahu wanted a map of the world to be hung up on the wall in the conference room. So somebody like got something out of storage in the UN embassy, like the Israeli embassy, the UN. And brought it, and then at the last minute, someone noticed that it was like a really old map that had the Soviet Union and not Ukraine <laughs> on it. So they had to take it down and get rid of the map. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Whoopsie. Well, before we uh, get to uh, a repeat lightning round, because maybe you have different answers, maybe we have different questions. Uh, anything else that we missed at UNGA? I know there's a lot of stuff going on about UNESCO. Uh, which the U.S. recently rejoined, and they just decided to add uh, Jericho to their World Heritage Site list under the state of Palestine, and no reference to any Jewish connection there uh, in, in Jewish history, uh, just just supposedly Palestinian connection to the land. Uh, yeah, don't you know the Palestinian prophet Joshua, who brought down the walls of Jericho? Yes, yes, very familiar. Now enshrined in, in the United Nations. But there's that. There was a big summit that the Saudis and the Europeans hosted for Palestinians, likely somehow connected to what idea machine they want to connect to the to the normalization process. Anything else that, that 
was not getting the coverage it deserved that you noticed that that our audience would find interesting? Well, it's not Unga, but before coming to New York, Netanyahu was in California. He went to the Tesla plant and he had oh, this yeah. oh, this yeah. chat with Elon Musk. Um, I thought it was like really fascinating. I thought it was, you know, Netanyahu like has clearly done his homework and really understands what's going on with AI and sort of what the potential risks and potential benefits are of it. Um, and if people who are interested in that topic, I like encourage them to go on Netanyahu's website and watch the video. You can watch it again, even if you missed it live. Um, I found it very interesting. Um, and Elon Musk is looking into possibly opening an R&D center, um, I think for Tesla. He does own a few companies. So I'm actually not sure which, but I think Tesla um, in Israel, that's something he's starting to explore. So that'll be I think like a a success, you know, if it happens that Netanyahu can sort of bring home and say, look at this. Um, But it also, I thought was like a really good attempt. Um, I'm not sure it entirely succeeded, but Netanyahu was really trying to sort of um, seize the narrative of this trip and start it with like positive, like, and not all about uh, the protests of which there were, there were protests in California, but I think in New York, they were getting a lot more attention. Can I ask you a question from like, Rich, from where you sit is like sort of as a right of center American Jew who cares a lot about anti-Semitism in America. Like, how does Netanyahu get a free pass to, to meet with Elon Musk, who's like just absolutely, you know, enabling anti-Semites on his platform, left, right and center, taking shots at the ADL? Like, like how does Netanyahu get a free pass to do this meeting without any kind of uproar from, you know, the right of center American Jewry? Well, I, I would first of all say that the ADL has plenty of egg on its face for doing the exact same thing multiple times. In yeah, but they're not, by the way, they're not the uh, prime minister of the Jewish people. I, I understand. I understand. And, and Elon, Musk, quotes, Elon Musk wasn't writing a check to you know, Israel bonds or something as far as I know. But the, but the thing that I, that I do you know, wonder is why he didn't take an opportunity to tee up like a real deliverable. That would be sort of boxing yeah. Musk in, have a real win out of it, show something concrete. The idea of having the meeting and talking through and sort of cornering him and making him commit to things on anti-Semitism and making his points. I think Netanyahu did make strong points. And, you know, in some ways it's sort of like, is is Musk giving is Netanyahu giving Musk a platform or is Musk giving Netanyahu a platform is another way to I think about like it. I felt like they were sort of helping each other in that way. Yeah, but but I was very disappointed because to me the most obvious thing on the table was the supreme leader of Iran has an X account, has had an X account for years, uses it to spew anti-Semitism and destruction of Israel and anti-Americanism and all this stuff. And it's like, how is this guy's not an American? There's no free speech. This is the supreme leader. It's the Ayatollah in the midst of everything going on in Iran. And Musk says... Tells the whole story of how he started uh, Starlink going for for Iran and boasting about it, and this is Bibi's core issue. It was teed up. Just be like, well, I hope you'll kick off the supreme leader from from X. Yeah, that guy doesn't right. deserve. And, that, and, that, so and, you know, I you sent me just just for everyone to know, Rich DM'd me before the visit to say like I should ask Netanyahu. So I went up to Netanyahu's like spokesman and I was like, is Netanyahu going to ask Elon Musk about this? And he like had no the man had no idea. He like. Like he was like, oh, really? The Ayatollah is on Twitter. I was like, dude, really? It's yeah, like, like such a big deal. It's, a, it's also a missed opportunity because for me, right, I'm a left of center Jew and left of center American Jew. 
it really would be hard to argue with Bibi Netanyahu doing that. And right. I could say, like for me, and not that my opinion matters to Bibi Netanyahu, I guess, but like if you're if you're in if if you're on some level courting American Jewry while you're here, right? If that's a little bit of what 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 he's after. And he does that. He now puts me and people who think like me in a box because he went in front of Elon Musk and he said, like, this is not a this is not a good look and you need to do something about it. And what about this specific thing? And I could say, oh, this Netanyahu guy, like at least he did, you know, at least he did this right thing. And, and it's yeah. a, a rich to your point. No, I'm I was totally disappointed. A, a I was missed disappointed. opportunity. I, I thought this was like a great this is a moment where you, you got you got Musk. You have him a little bit cornered. He's he's doing this to help himself. And not just make points across to a huge audience, which is important, which is important, but to actually get something concrete out of him, I thought it would have been very helpful. I think he could have done it, something that's so easy for us to do, just kick the Ayatollah off X. It's not a huge lift, and you still are going to get your AI thing built in Israel and all that, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I just remember, no, nobody puts Elon in the corner. I mean, I, you're joking, but I, I kind of think that that's it. Like, you can't. He does what he wants. He's he's like Trump, you know what I mean? Like you go into the meeting, you have some sort of vague plan, but you don't really know what's going to happen. Right, and right. Th- that was the sense I got from Netanyahu's out with people also, where they were like, yeah, they're going to talk about this and this. And like, and they, they he, you can't pin him down, you yeah. know? Um, the other thing is that they, the way Netanyahu's the camp like represents it is like that these are some of the most, it not just, it's not just um, Musk, it's this um, Greg Brockman, who's the president of OpenAI, was also there. And they, yeah. they feel that these are some of the most powerful and important people in the world, even more so than most of the politicians that Netanyahu was meeting this week. And so they view just the meeting as a success. I don't think that the average person watching the news sees it that way, per se. Like, they might think it's cool or not cool that they're meeting with, he's meeting with Elon Musk. But... That's how they are, at least it, presenting I mean, it, it. It, it. I accept that to some extent. I accept that to some extent. Right. I, I do want to ask you just some quick lightning rounds along with Jared as we're in the high holiday season here. Do you have a favorite breakfast food? At yeah, the I, end was, of the I was interested to hear this one. Uh, you are talking to me right after I just bought a half a dozen bagels to put in my suitcase to bring back to Israel to break the fast on. I mean, I'm not going to eat the whole half dozen bagels. Myself. Only a half a dozen? Bagels. You're, going <laughs> to, you're flying to Israel and you got a half a dozen bagels, not a full my, dozen. Well, I have to – first of all, my children are small. They don't eat a Inflation, whole bagel. Inflation, Jared. Okay. <laughs> and second of all, Israeli fridges and freezers are small. So <laughs> there's okay. only so all much right. I can do. All right. So uh, keeping on that theme, your favorite food to eat on Rosh Hashanah? Or like a new food, like one of those Shehekianu foods. Um, or it could just I, be a regular food. I By the way, that would be a great name for a food company, Shehekianu Foods. Like, <laughs> like a caterer. Oh, let's like do a, it. Yeah. We should do that. Yeah, like there's like Mazel, <laughs> there's like in Brooklyn, there's Mazel Tov Movers. Right. Uh, like Shehekianu Foods. Perfect. Okay. Um, I really like pomegranates in Israel. It's mm. like the season. They're ripe, like right around Rosh Hashanah time, and they're amazing. Also, this year, I made a focaccia that, like, you know, people like to make those focaccia gardens. So I made it with, like, the simanim on top, and it was really good. So. Nice. All right. And our last but not least, favorite of all the high holidays, because we have so many in this month. I mean, you're you're including like the Sukkot and whatever. Oh yeah, and, 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 and Simchat Torah and, and everything. I used to really, really love Simchat Torah. It's not. And then you had uh, kids and stayed stayed stover. 
not just sober, but like you can't like stay out late, like dancing with your friends, you know, the way you do when you're younger. So that's, that's tough. But I really like Sukkot with kids. I love, they decorate the sukkah. They get super excited about it. They want to like shake the lid yeah, up and etro. Nice. Like as a parent, it's a really like nice that. holiday. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Lahav Harkov, thank you so much for coming. Welcome to the Jewish Insiders family. Thank you. And to our podcast family. Welcome back. Welcome back, Rich. Welcome, welcome. She's welcome to the Jewish Insider podcast. And welcome back to the podcast. She's been on the podcast before, Rich. Yeah, I know, but she's now in the family. Okay, I, the family. I see. I see. It's the right. Olive well, Garden. welcome. And, I'll take uh, it either way. Welcome may, to the Olive may, Garden. May, uh, yes, and may you be inscribed in the Book of Life. Amen. You all too. Of us and sealed. Okay. Jared, great show. A lot we learned there. A lot of insight. I think people who've been watching the news will get a lot out of this interview. Uh, I, I have a question for you. Do you have a favorite breakfast food? I love that question. So, you know, I my breakfast usually starts with a cup of tea um, hmm. and and then proceeds rapidly into like bagels, lox, whitefish, hmm. uh, and probably some challah, like carb, 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 carb. Um and so I would say it's like bagels, lox, uh, whitefish, usually from one of the New York institutions like Zabar's. Shout out to our, our, our former guests uh, or Russ and Daughters. Um, but there are some other great places actually in, in Brooklyn. Um, you don't have to go into Manhattan for that great stuff anymore. And uh, so I really like that. How about you? What is your, what is your favorite breakfast food? Uh, long family commitment going back generations to chopped herring or as we say in Yiddish, gehakta herring. Yeah. And uh, that with like in a, the cream sauce, ice cracker. No, 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 no. This is like real herring. That's been chopped up in like a blender or something. You can either do it yourself or you like can a chopped liver of herring. Exactly. Exactly. Ooh. It is amazing. And you put it on a cracker or on a slice of bread or something, some challah. It is it just warms your soul and your heart, and you just want to—I don't know—you just want to go outside and start building a sukkah. That's what and I you, think. And you have and you have tums right there, right? When yeah, you do that right, because right, right, right. right. <laughs> a lot of women in my family opposed to it. Um, some of the men as well, but uh, for the most part, a beloved tradition in the Goldberg household. All right. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome.